drank Coke through a sock. Was anybody here for that? That was, that was nasty. Hey guys, real quick if you would, if you guys would do me a favor, if you guys would just go ahead and, and, and quiet down, if you would put your cell phones uh, away, there's some things I want to talk to you guys about, if you would real quick, bow your heads, pray with me, and then there's a couple things I'd like to discuss with you. Guys, would you bow your heads when I pray? Father, we come before you tonight, and we are so thankful for an amazing year. We are so thankful that we just can continue to grow. We can continue to add more people to our family here on Friday night. God, we are just so in awe of what you're doing in students' lives on a weekly basis, and we thank you for that. God, I pray that tonight as I speak, Father, that you would just invade the hearts of students and that you would draw them near to you. God, that you would help us understand your word more clearly. God, we ask this in your name. Amen. All right, so, so if you guys have been here for a while, you've probably sat through, you know, 20 plus messages or speeches or whatever you want to call them, and I know as a teenager, you probably don't like to hear someone telling you what's wrong with you. I know I don't like if someone tells me, hey, something, this is what's wrong with you and you need to fix it, and so I get it. If you feel like that's what we're doing, I, you know, I apologize, that's really not what I want to communicate to you guys tonight. See, I think sometimes the church gets a bad rap because we spend too much time telling you what we're against instead of telling you what we're for. And so what I want to do tonight is talk to you guys a little bit about what we're for. One of the things I notice with this generation, and I guess it's really nothing new with, with your generation. I dealt with it in mine. But too often I see kids and students walk in, even to a place like this, and their head is down, they're not talking to anyone, they're just, they have no joy whatsoever in their life. You say hi to them, and just go, hey. And, and too many of us are walking around just struggling with this idea of depression, struggling with this idea of, of just being anger and bitter towards things. And, and the thing about depression is, a lot of times... We, we think it's the student that's kind of all alone, but I know that, you know, you can have a smile on your face when everyone's around. You can be that person who's making everybody laugh, and you can be that same person who's kind of struggling on the inside when everyone else is away and been gone. And, and, and I get it. I can relate to this. I was your age once, and I dealt with depression. I dealt with it, and there were times in my life, man, I would just sit when people were gone. Nobody knew it, but I would sit, and I would just cry, and I didn't know why. And depression is just this, this cycle that we get in where we just get, we get sad, and we're not really sure what's causing it. And then so we, we try to come up with things to make us happy, and they last for a little while, and they go away, and so we get angry. Like, why didn't that work? And we get frustrated, and it's this cycle of sadness, anger, frustration, and, and, and we get frustrated, like, how come nothing is making me feel better? And we get frustrated at the things or the people that we think should make us happy. And I think the reason this is so prevalent in, in, in our society, in our culture, is because of where you guys live. We live in America. We live in this place where all you see is commercial after commercial, and people telling you 
how you should live your life and what you should do. You hear commercials saying, buy this product, eat this meal, and it's going to make you happy. Do these things, look this way, and if you do this, if you wear these clothes, it will make you happy. And we kind of buy into this philosophical thinking in our, in our country, and we're so consumeristic that I think so many of us try to fill our lives with what we're being told works, and it doesn't end up working out. And, and truth be told, it's really not your fault. See, many of you know I had a son recently. He's, I think, seven weeks old now. And, man, he's just as cute as can be. Uh, he was here a little bit earlier, but he goes home because he gets, you know, crazy and starts screaming and stuff, and it's probably not a good place for him. Uh, but his name's Little Jax, and, uh, man, I love my little guy. And I've, I've written probably, like, 20 songs, because that's all I do now. I go home, and I hold him, and I sing him a song to try to make him happy. I got a couple country songs. I got this one about three monkeys that throw their poo. It's pretty, it's pretty good. You come over, I, I'm pretty sure I'm going to make an album about all my, my baby songs. I really could. I, I'm working on this one right now about all his superpowers, about how he, you know, he screams as a superpower and how he poops as a superpower. But his greatest superpower is when he looks at me and melts me because he's so cute. It's, it's really good. I'm telling you. And the girl said, aww. But, but I noticed one day I was, I was rocking my little boy and, and, and I was singing him this song about how much I loved him. And I started to just, you know, I just make, everything's random. I, I make it up on the fly. And I started to talk about, man, Jax, I love you because you're so handsome and because you're so cute. And, and one day you're going to make dad so proud and you're going to be good at sports and you're going to be a good soccer player and you're going to be so smart and you're going to do like this. And I kept telling him, like, Jax, this is why I love you. And, man, I just hit me, man. God spoke to me and I just had to stop. I said, wait a minute. This isn't right. This isn't right for me to sit here and, and, and ingrain in my son from his earliest age that what's going to make me love him is whether he's successful or not in life. Whether if he's cool, I'll love him. Or whether he's good at sports, I'll love him. And I stopped and I started singing like, if you're a bum on the street, Jax, I'll still love you. And because, because that's the right way to think about it. I thought, man, if you love, I started singing to him. I said, if you love Jesus, that's all I care about. If you love Jesus, then, then man, you will make me so, so happy, Jackson. That's kind of the new song I began to sing. See, many of us deal with this idea of depression or anger and resentment because we look for all the wrong things in our life to fulfill us. We think the things that are going to make us happiest in life are titles. If we're student council president or we're prom king or queen or whatever, or you're captain of the team, or, you know, if you win awards, if you win first place and you get a trophy or, you know, you get all A's, you think these things are the things that are going to make you happy, the things that are going to fulfill you. But if you're anything like me, they don't. See, when I was your age, I remember junior, junior senior in high school, man, I struggled. I was, I was an all-state soccer player. That's all I did. And t to me, even though I knew God, I knew who Jesus was, man, what I looked for for fulfillment and to make me happy and to say, like, this is who I am, was a soccer player. And I'll never forget just being overwhelmed with depression because no matter, man, if I scored three goals that game, it wasn't good enough. I thought I should have scored four. Or, or I just, I mean, every game ticked away and I realized that, man, soccer's only going to get me so far. I'm probably not going to be a pro soccer player I'm probably not going to do this for the rest of my life. And with each game that was done, I realized that my soccer playing days 
we're, we're getting close to being over. And I just began to get so just frustrated with life because I didn't understand what could truly make me happy. I want to read some scripture to you. This is, uh, this is from Paul. This is out of the book of Philippians. Paul says this. He's writing this letter. He says, I'm glad in God, far happier than you ever guessed I would be. Actually, I don't have a sense of needing anything personally. I don't need anything, Paul says. He says, I've learned by now to be quite content whatever my circumstances. I'm just as happy with as little as with much, with much as with little. I found the recipe for being happy. Whether full or hungry, hands full or hands empty, whatever I have, wherever I am, I can make it through anything in the one who makes me who I am. See, Paul writes this verse, and he's talking to his friends, and he says, guys, I found the secret to happiness. It's in God. When I trust in God, when I rely on him for my strength, nothing else matters. The coolest thing about this verse is that when Paul wrote it, the dude was in jail. Not too many guys who are in jail can write and say, man, I have everything I need. Life, great. But see, that's what happens exactly when you find God. All those other things that you used to find fulfillment in, the things that used to make you happy, they don't compare. You find God and you're like, wow, God, you're the only thing I need. My friends, they don't last, but you, you love me. The creator of the universe loves me, and that's enough. That's enough. And see, I heard things like this before. But I never truly understood it. I, wanna, I want you guys to stick with me. I know some people are still kind of making jokes and talking and laughing. But if you guys would just give me a little bit more respect. This is our last one of the year. I'd like you guys to listen to this. I want to tell you a story. I was on a missions trip going out and preaching the word. We were in a place called the Bahamas. I'm sure you've heard of it. And, and, and we weren't like... You know, you think of the Bahamas, you think of the nice beaches. Like, we stayed by the beach, but when we went to work, we went to the inner island. And the inner island of some of these touristy places aren't that nice of a place to go. The beaches fade away, and people live in boxes and tin roofs, and it's not like you see in America. And I went to this place, they called it an AIDS colony. Basically, what it was, was this place off in the middle of the island, secluded from everybody else, and they took these people with disease, who, people who had AIDS, and they sent them there to live. They wouldn't let them be with anybody else. It was kind of an underdeveloped country. They weren't too smart. They didn't have doctors that could figure all this stuff out. Not that AIDS is curable, but they really didn't know how it worked, and so they sent these people to be by themselves. And so I went to work in this colony, and, I, and, and there's, there's, basically it was a sidewalk, with shack after shack after shack after shack. And we just went to hang out with these people, these rejected people that nobody else talks to, that nobody else loves. We began to cut their grass. Cutting their grass was taking a machete and cutting the jungle out. That's what we did. We just said, how can we serve you guys? How can we be Jesus' hands and feet to you guys? And, and I spent all week in this colony, and the people there who, who lived in the Bahamas that were working with them, see, I was just there a week, but they said, you got to meet this lady named Miss Moxie. You got to meet Miss Moxie. I'm like, all right, sounds cool. Some old lady, probably pretty creepy. I'm, a, you know, I'm like a 21-year-old guy, but I'll go hang out with her. And I'll never forget it. 
I went and I found Miss Moxie, and she's sitting in this hut. And Miss Moxie's, it was really hard to tell how old she was. I don't think she was that old, to be honest. I think she was probably in her 30s or 40s. But she probably looked like she was in her 60s or 70s. I mean, she was really bad. I walked into her house, which was like a, maybe a quarter of this stage. And, and all she had was a dresser and a bed. And Miss Moxie just lived on the bed. That's where she, she lived. Uh, once, once or two, twice a week, someone would come get her out and bring her to like, kind of like a group meeting. But that was her existence. Miss Moxie, she, I mean, as soon as I walked in, she was kind of gross. See, she was filled with baby powder, just covered her. Because she lives in the Bahamas, it's like 100 some odd degrees right there, and it's hard to keep clean. And so to keep clean and to stop sweating, they would just cover themselves with baby powder. And that's the way she would keep clean. And so I began to sit, sit by Miss Moxie, and the first thing I noticed was, oh, man, she's just welcoming me, I mean, just this big old smile. And I'm like, all right. Get to talk to her, and it's a little bit hard to understand at first, but I talked to her, said hi the first day, came back the next day. I said, you know, Miss Moxie, what, you know, what can I do for you? She said, oh, go to the store and get me some ice cream. I'm like, all right, who am I to tell this lady, no, I'm not going to get you ice cream. It cost me a dollar. I'll do that. So I get her some ice cream. It was a little bit better than the ice cream we had tonight. And got her some ice cream. Came back the next day, and I said, hey, man, my, my friend plays the guitar. What if he came and plays some songs for you? And, and he came and did. And I'll never forget, I asked Miss Moxie her story. I said, you know, Miss Moxie, how'd you, how'd you end up here? Like, what, what's your story? I'm like, don't you have any family that comes and visits you? She said, no, I don't have any family. They all kind of left. She said, well, see, I'm, I'm paralyzed from the waist down. I can't, I can't move my legs. I said, well, how did that happen? She said, well, when I was a teenager, I went to the United States. I, w- I, w- I was going with my mom and my sisters to go shopping because shopping's not so good here in the Bahamas. So we went to Miami in Florida. We went, we went to go shopping. I said, all right, that's, that sounds fun. So what happened? She said, well, I got in a car accident, and I was paralyzed. And when they brought me home... I was a real mess, and I got a blood transfusion, and I contracted AIDS. And my heart just began to weep, and, and, and just, I couldn't, I said, man, how is this fair? This isn't fair. How, how is it fair for this lady? She gets hit by a car. She's paralyzed. Nothing she did was her fault. Then on top of it, she gets AIDS because the doctors, the people screwed up. How is this fair? But you know what the thing that Miss Moxie taught me is? See, Miss Moxie believed God's word. Miss Moxie said, you know what? My joy is not dependent on my circumstances. It's not dependent on what's going on. See, if I, I, I promise you this. I, I, wish I, I, wish you could, I, I wish I could bring Miss Moxie here. Because Miss Moxie had more joy in her left thumb than this room combined. I mean, you should have saw her. With, she was so contagious that she began to draw crowds. Like, everyone wanted to hang out with Miss Moxie, this paraplegic with AIDS who smelled and lived in a hut in the Bahamas. All of us just wanted, like, we didn't even want to work. Like, we just wanted to hang out with Miss Moxie because Miss Moxie's face just lit up. This smile was incredible. I was like, hey, Miss Moxie, can I, can I read you some scripture? Can I read you my favorite verse? It's Job 38. And she's like, oh, yeah, I know that. And she quoted the whole thing. And I was like, oh. 
great. What am I supposed to do? You, you have more joy, and you could teach me a thing, and I'm a pastor in the United States, and you know more about joy than I do. You know more about joy than every stinking teenager who lives in the United States, who has everything they ever want, all the clothes they need, iPhone 4, whatever you want, you have it, and yet it's, we struggle to find joy. Why? Because we look for it in all the wrong places. See, I felt bad for Miss Moxie, but Miss Moxie probably felt bad for me. Miss Moxie said, you know what? All I need is God. That's all I need. Man, I know God loves me. I know that this life is temporary. I could have a smile all day long. I'll sing songs. I'll praise his name. I'll lift up my hands. I'll pray. Why? Because God is a good God. And these are the things she's telling me. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I don't know if I could do that if I was you. And the point in what I'm telling you guys tonight is that I know many of you guys struggle with this idea of finding joy in your life. You try to find it in friends, but they let you down, they stab you in the back. You try to find it in accomplishments, but there's always someone better, there's always someone smarter. And we get into these cycles where we get frustrated, we get sad, we get angry because nothing in our life begins to satisfy us. And let me tell you something tonight. Nothing ever will satisfy you. You will never, ever be happy outside of knowing the love of Jesus Christ. And that's the truth I want to tell you guys tonight. We preached message after message after message. Some of you have already shut me off because you've heard, you think you've heard it again and again. But I'm telling you tonight, if you're someone who's looking and you can't figure out how to be happy. I'm not saying if you come to Jesus, everything's going to be okay and he's going to make your life great. He certainly didn't make everything great for Miss Moxie. But what Miss Moxie understood is when you know God, when you know God loves you, that's all you need. That's enough. Having your needs supplied doesn't mean you have to be wealthy. It means you have enough. And God is enough for me. It's enough for Miss Moxie. And it's enough for each and every one of you tonight. And what I want to do is I want to pray with you. And you guys know the drill. I want to pray with you. I want to ask you guys if, if that's you in your life and you say, man, I want to I know what it feels like to have the joy, the kind of joy Miss Moxie did, the kind of joy you found. I want you to pray with me and then I want you get, to go over the corner. I want to continue to talk to you. I want to tell you a little bit more about who Jesus is, who God is, and the joy that he can bring in your life. You guys pray with me? God, we come before you tonight, and I thank you for a great year. I thank you for each and every one of these students who have come out to hang out with us every single Friday night this year. God, we've had a blast. We've had good times. We've laughed together. God, but tonight, this message is serious. God, I know that there are so many students hurting, just like I hurt when they were, I was their age. They're hurting because they're trying to find love, they're trying to find acceptance, they're trying to find joy in all the wrong places, and they're left empty. And God, just like Miss Moxie, just like Paul wrote in the Bible, you are the only thing that can make them content. You are the only thing that can bring them true joy. God, and tonight I pray that you would speak to students, that you would just begin to beckon them to you, that you would make yourself known to them, that students would be bold enough to say, I've tried everything but I want to know more about Jesus. And God, that's my prayer tonight, that students, for the first time, 
would know what it is to know who you are, to call you Father, to call you God and Lord of their life. God, we thank you for being a good God. You're, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for forgiving us, God, and that is what gives us joy. God, we love you, and we ask all this in your name. Amen. Amen. You guys are dismissed. <laughs>